0: invite uh, my friend Julian Russell up now. Uh, Julian man I don't even know where to start we could spend all morning uh, he blames me for getting him to Memphis uh, he was minding his own business at uh, RTS Orlando many years ago and um, I had a uh, flyer put up that we were planning the church in three at one two six in Memphis and we're looking for someone uh, this man as you hear the first word come out of his mouth you know he's not from the south uh, actually he is from the south he's from Bahamas the deep south that's there you go. Um, and he was planning on after seminary going to uh, back to the Bahamas and uh, God had other plans. He came here and started New Beginnings Community Church which uh, I was involved with as well uh, just because of Presbytery and I was on the uh, the team planning that church and Miss um, Betty, both of our Bettys uh, and a lot of others in this body and Brainerd the Olivers, um, I know I'm going to forget a number of people, but uh, the Gilchrist um, were part of that church from the beginning. And um, and by God's providence, uh, I was so jealous of Julian going to, to do that work and following with him. Um, by god 's providence uh, now i 'm their their pastor those that were at new beginnings and uh, I am so excited um, because God made new beginnings in downtown church one um, and that was one of the greatest um, periods and seasons of my life when I saw god 's kindness and and allowing us to come together and and um, and and go to work for god 's kingdom in this area but um, man, I could say a lot about julian he's got a he 's got an m d a D-Min, a T-H-M, I don't know what uh, what other, uh, he's got a whole lot more education than I do, uh, than Chris and I do put together, uh, that's for sure, but, uh, but all that's nothing, um, if he doesn't love Jesus, and I don't know a man that I trust more, um, and that I admire more, and I mean that, simply because of his humility and love for Jesus, and his boldness, uh, his love for the gospel, his love for God's word, and, um, for so many years, he's been faithful to God here in the states, and by the end of this year, he and his lovely bride—and she really is his better half—all uh, the great things I can say about Julian, uh, uh, he doesn't—he pales in comparison uh, to uh, to Chris. And it's so good to have you here as well, Chris. Um, but they are um, God has heard the cries of their hearts, and they get to go back to the Bahamas at the end of this year, and He is going to launch a church planting movement. Um, and we are so excited if you want to talk to him about that he's going to be raising support so I know he'd be glad to talk to you uh, about that but anyway it's so good to have you here brother I love you and uh, let me pray for you before you uh, as you go to the word Father thank you so much for Julian Thank you for Chris. Thank you for their children and what they mean to so many of us and what they mean to your kingdom. Um, Thank you for how they lift up your son Jesus so evidently in their lives. And uh, we just pray this morning that we would get a a glimpse of Jesus, uh, that we might see you through this man and that you would bring your word to us powerfully. May your spirit rest upon him as he uh, brings your word to us. Uh, Bless him over the next year and bless him in his endeavors in the Bahamas. God, change the Bahamas forever. Um, we pray for uh, a mighty church planning movement in the Bahamas that will change that uh, part of the world forever. Um, we just lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Our scripture is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 11, and I invite you to stand as we read these few passages of scriptures. Beginning at verse 19, The disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. I know you've heard the phrase, Variety is the spice of life. And differences in food and experience tend to add spice in our lives. However, differences between cultures... Do not always produce pleasant experiences. When different people rub against each other, rest assured, friction is generated. Just ask the married couples in this audience. The church is no stranger to the heat of cultural friction. We see this in the book of Acts, beginning at verse 11, uh, beginning at uh, chapter 6. There were some widows from Jerusalem, and there were some widows who were not from Jerusalem. And the widows who were not from Jerusalem, they were not being treated in the same manner that the widows from Jerusalem were being treated. It's in the church. And the early church discovered that. Even as Jesus was adding to the church. So Jesus was adding these different people who were just rubbing each other wrong. Friction within the church is an inevitable byproduct when God's people come together. So the first question I have for us is, how will the people of God, enabled by the Spirit of God, handle this cultural friction that could so easily divide us, distort the gospel, and destroy the witness of the body of Christ in this earth? So what Luke does in this passage, he introduces us to Barnabas in the context of new converts who are now responding to the felt needs of Christians at Jerusalem. And they're different. And the collaboration between this diverse group of people was so effective that Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4 and verse 34 that there was no needy persons among them in the church. Imagine that. The church had much respect for Barnabas. For his character, for his cross-cultural intelligence, and his innate abilities in leading the church in its kingdom expansion. Not only geographically, but spiritually as well. And so here's the big idea I want us to, figure, I want us to reach today. Today. The Lord has added key individuals within and among his people, and the same Jesus who turned common water into fine wine, who turned a little lunch into a banquet for thousands, who turned common fishermen into people who literally changed the world, is still at work in his church, transforming regular people like you and me, and making us extraordinary, bridge people. And so we look to the text. And so Luke says that, in, that the early church at Jerusalem began to suffer persecution from the Jewish authorities. And this persecution followed closely behind Stephen's stoning. And he uses the phrase "the hand of the Lord" and in, an induction. And in what that means is the God of providence used these persecutions to move His church toward His kingdom mandate, and, and that is to make disciples of every ethnic group. And so it appears as if the devil is winning. It appears as if things are going wrong. But the truth is, the God of providence is constantly moving everything for His wise purposes. No doubt April 4th, 1968 seemed to be the end of something. But Almighty God used it as the beginning of something mighty and wonderful. That will preach to generations yet unborn. And so those who were being persecuted proclaimed their faith in every town and city where they traveled. And as a result of their witness, many believed the Gospels, and they turned from serving idols and became converts to the Christian faith. One such place was Antioch. This was a city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. By the time of Christ, it was a very diverse city. It was a melting pot of western and eastern cultures where Greek and Roman uh, traditions mingled with Semitic or Jewish and, and Arabic and Persian influences. It's, it's a bunch of folk. It's people from the south and Republicans and Democrats and people from the north and folks from the Middle East and folks from all over the world living in one place, doing their own things together. James Boyce one of our brothers who's gone to be with the Lord, he refers to Antioch as a political center, a commercial center, but it was also a morally corrupt center. Antioch was so well known for its wickedness that one Roman senator used the phrase as he described the cultural degradation that was occurring in Rome. He said, The Orontes River in Antioch is now flowing into the Tiber River in Rome. In essence, The influence of the folk at Antioch is impacting the people of Rome. Heathenism, in its most vulgar and debasing forms, dominated the life of the people at Antioch. And this is what James Kaufman says. Yet, the sovereign Lord worked mightily among these pagans. And so through the faithful witness of these ordinary Jewish men and women, many Gentiles in Antioch became Christian converts. And now you've got to remember, Gentiles are folk who, who ate food with blood in it. Gentiles are folk who did things you just, you just couldn't imagine. They were, they were those people. They had no rules, they had no scruples. They lived by any means necessary. They and Jews never, never met. They had absolutely nothing in common. And now the gospel is there, and people are giving their lives to Christ. And strangely enough, the church at Antioch became a vibrant, multi-ethnic congregation that demonstrated levels of Christian transformation that radically impacted the entire region. The church had not become a synagogue of Jews and Gentiles, as, as what used to happen before. No, this was a new community of believers who was taught that they fully belonged to the one people of God, despite their ethnic and cultural differences. And so Griffith Thomas knows that we cannot fully realize today the revolutionary change it was to Jewish Christians to see the gospel extending to the Gentiles. You, you You can't fathom that. Christopher Wright, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called The Mission of God. He says, he comments that the powerful message that brought hope and joy to diverse Gentile communities brought shock and anger to some of Paul's fellow Jews. And so the Jews weren't excited that these pagan Gentiles at Antioch were coming to know Jesus. And I'm not talking about the Jews who were practicing Jews. I'm talking about the Jews who had professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't excited. They were in God. Hallelujah! Praise God! Look what God's doing! Look what God's doing over there! They were saying, Oy vey. <laughs> oh God, what's going to happen?" Earlier, the con- uh, we saw in Acts chapter eight, the Samaritans are being converted, and then in chapter nine, Peter is visiting Cornelius, this Roman centurion, and now in chapter eleven. Guess who's coming to dinner? (laughs) These Jewish Christians can't deal with this. I wonder what was the driving force behind the apostles' concern. I wonder what was Peter concerned about. I mean, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, preached a sermon that 3,000 people got saved. I mean, God was doing a a massive work. In Peter's life, and Andrew's life, and James, and all these other men. But I wonder what they were thinking. Wow. Was it a zeal for right doctrine? Are they going to send Barnabas because they're concerned that there's going to be the right thing preached in, in that church over there? Or was it their desire to remain ethnically exclusive? There's a brother in the PCA, um, Korean brother, his name is Duke Kwon. He speaks of people building churches for giraffes. And then inviting elephants to come and worship with them. See, the the, the, the way the Lord had moved mightily in the lives of these Jewish men who would live with Jesus, and who would walk with Jesus, and who would talk with Jesus, who are now filled with the Holy Spirit, they thought the church was for giraffes only. But the Lord were, the Lord was inviting elephants. To the church. How they gonna fit? <laughs> How we gonna make this work? Ron Sider John Perkins and Wayne Gordon, they wrote a book and, and they comment on this. They comment on this Jewish ethnocentrism and they know that Jews and Gentiles simply did not mix in ancient Roman society. But in the new society of Jesus, the power of the gospel effectively dismantled the wall between them. Of course, the cultural diversity that eventually became the church did not come without struggle. It was to this city in Antioch that the apostles entrusted and commissioned Barnabas to use his leadership skills and cultural intelligence to investigate that most strategic work. And so Barnabas gets there. And in verse 22, Luke describes how this new work had grown to become the most critical for the development of the Christian faith. Why? Because the church of Jerusalem is under persecution, the the church is scattering, and the Lord is doing a mighty thing right there in Antioch that's going to impact the entire world through Paul and Barnabas and others. Luke highlights the very strategic role that Barnabas played in leading this church in its work and witness. And there are several factors I want us to see about Barnabas' character as well as how he gave leadership to that diverse community which stands out in this text. First of all, Barnabas was recognized by the apostles as the right person for the task. The fledgling church in Jerusalem trusted Barnabas' ability to give competent leadership and guidance to this new congregation. Thus, Barnabas became the official delegate from the church at Jerusalem. He could be trusted. Who are the men and women in this church who could be trusted with taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into places that are uncomfortable? Who Who are the men and women in this city who could take the gospel of Jesus Christ into places that are uncomfortable and maintain integrity in its its word and in in its deed? Who are the men and women in this church who could be trusted? And so we first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. He's a Levite from Cyprus. And even though he was a conservative Jew, Barnabas demonstrated a keen ability to flourish in the Gentile dominant world of Cyprus. So here's this Republican from the north, living with the democratic south or vice versa, and doing well. He was so wealthy that he sold his property and he laid it all at the apostles' feet. So this brother who's a conservative, he's a Levite, he's a priest the folks who don't they don't drink they don't smoke they don't go to movies they don't dance they don't do this they don't 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 and he's flourishing in this world and the gospel grips his heart he was a generous man and he was also gifted in encouraging others upon his arrival at Antioch Barnabas expressed his joy and excitement on seeing how the Lord was evidently at work Among both Jews and Gentiles in that city. Barnabas had no dog in that hunt. He simply wanted to be where the Lord was evidently at work. So he was excited. The apostles were sad. They were concerned. Barnabas was like, praise God, hallelujah. You see this? Look what's going on here. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord is calling each one of us to go where he is at work. And then join in that work. God's at work in some of the strangest places you could imagine. God's at work in Memphis big time. I live in Dallas, Texas, and there are a lot of folk who are doing a lot of great ministries. But I, I lament the fact that people over there are doing ministry, because I, I keep telling them, man, you need to go to Memphis to know how to do it. And I mean it. Man, and you know what's so good? Folks over there, they hear, Oh, you used to teach at, uh, at New Hope Academy? Oh, show us how to do this. Oh, you used to work downtown? Sure, because they know. You guys are right in the thick of it. You, Your nose is to the grind. You don't see what we see on the outside. But the Lord is doing a marvelous work in this city and through this church. Barnabas later demonstrated his His giftedness in shaping others, even in a cross-cultural setting. There's a preacher friend of mine who told me years ago. He's in a homogeneous church and this young African-American family comes to him and this 14-year-old boy looks at him and tells him, I want to be just like you as I grow up. Listen to me, man. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what age you are. You can impact people if you love Jesus enough. And so Barnabas shaped people, even though they were pagans. And he was a conservative Levite. More importantly, Luke places the story of Barnabas immediately following the account of Peter's encounter with Cornelius. And so this time, they could have sent, you remember Peter, Peter was fasting and the Lord says, Peter, I want you to kill and eat. Peter said, Lord, you know, I don't eat those kind of food. He's full of the Spirit. Peter, I want you to go to Cornelius house. Lord, you know I don't go to Gentiles. You know I don't do that stuff. You know I don't roll like that. And so they can't trust Peter to go. <laughs> so they trust Barnabas. And, and they send Barnabas. You know, there's an East African parable called the monkey and the fish. That's how a lot of people do ministry. You know, the monkey's hanging on a limb. There's a typhoon coming. You know the typhoon is, high winds. I was here, I lived here when Hurricane Elvis came here. Do you remember? How many remember Hurricane Elvis? Oh yeah. But it's worse than Hurricane Elvis. I mean high winds, rain and everything. And the monkey's hanging on a limb for dear life. And he looks in the water and there's a fish struggling. And the monkey out of great risk to himself and out of great concern for the fish, he reached down into the water and picked the fish out. And he scurried to safety and, and put the fish on dry ground. And for a moment the monkey observed that the fish was Ecstatic. Someone saw that eventually the fish went into a peaceful rest. And the monkey felt so good inside. The monkey said, oh yeah, I've done it again. Yeah. I got this. I know how to do this kind of ministry. (laughs) I know how to minister to to people who don't look like me. I got this. Man, the church is full of folk like that. But this isn't Barnabas, you see. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit. Barnabas embraced the gospel wholeheartedly and was the product of a Holy Spirit-led life. A life that is lived in total surrender to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Barnabas understood that Almighty God, out of His deep love for us, divested of himself, ripped his heart out and sent it to this earth, an earth that he had made, that he did not corrupt. And he sent his only son, not as a gift. He literally threw him to us. Because a holy God had no ability to bridge the gap between himself and a sinful people. There was no hope for mankind. And so Almighty God sent Jesus, who the blows who lived perfectly a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he fed thousands and he healed the sick and he raised the dead and his best friends abandoned him and popular opinion went against him and he was judged as a common thief and he was beaten he was scourged and he was hung on a cross And you know why he did it? Because it pleased the Father to bruise, to crush him for me and you. See, the cross makes us Bohemians and Americans and everything and white and black. The cross just levels it. That's what God did in Christ Jesus. See, that's why we're here. It should have been us, but Christ did it. He took the blows. And not only the blows from the Romans, He took the blows from His Father. And He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, that's what Barnabas believed. And Barnabas believed it so much that he surrendered his entire life to that truth. Do you believe this? And if you believe this, have you surrendered your life to the gospel so much so that if God were to ask you to do the unthinkable? 22 years ago, when my family and I left the Bahamas to go to seminary, 99.9% of everybody who knew me asked me, Are you stupid? Are you crazy? What are you thinking? I'll give you a hint friends the guy who runs the country is somebody she and I knew from this height so we we leave a place where we could be big dogs and come to a place where we are just little puppies in a dog pound and everybody asked us you're crazy but what they didn't know was that 26 years ago I told the Lord, if you get me out of this predicament, I'll do anything for you. And I meant it. 26 years ago, I was paralyzed from waist down. Broke, busted, disgusted. And the Lord healed me. Hallelujah. And he says, okay, your turn. (laughs) God says, tiger it. Okay. Okay. What do I do? What do I, in the words of Homer Simpson, what do, do? what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then I married a preacher's kid. She said, seminary! I came to Memphis after seminary, and I told Richard publicly, there's no way an H-E double hockey stick that I'll ever come to Memphis. I told him that. I said, okay, but the, I'll let my wife come and confirm that truth because she and I have the same mind i know how she thinks i'm an expert on women you see <laughs> and so brought my wife and the rest is history she saw memphis and <laughs> she said and I, and you know she can't but she said okay god i hear you call because god was talking to this fool and i just wasn't listening and i'll close the chapter on this and let me say this Memphis is home to my children, to our children. One of the best things that ever happened to me in life is that the Lord afforded me the privilege of coming to Memphis and serving Him and His people. So I thank God for Memphis. Amen? So, on to the text. So Luke records that the Lord utilized Barnabas' gifts and ministry to greatly influence a phenomenal church growth at Antioch. So Barnabas is there, and all of a sudden the church exploded. And Barnabas was wise enough to realize, hey, this is bigger than me. So he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And he invites Saul into the circle of leadership. Barnabas placed the needs of the church before his own advancement and self-gratification. Now remember, he was an official representative of the leadership of the church. He was probably one of the most significant figures in the early church. Yet this humble bridge person, confident of his gifts of encouragement, was willing to open this leadership to include Paul, who was highly trained. And so this, this church at Antioch had evidently experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this young body of Gentile converts, they now needed to be nurtured. This church at Antioch was a countercultural phenomenon. Therefore, its members needed to become a crypt so that they could withstand the corrosive acids of a culture that did not and does not know Jesus. So, you and I live in a world just like the world at Antioch. A world that is extremely hostile to Jesus and His agenda. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this task still requires the Holy Spirit who will fill men and women like you and me, who will become passionate, about whatever the Lord's plans are for this city, in extending His kingdom in this city, through this city, to the ends of the earth. The Lord worked mightily at Antioch. He worked so mightily that, that the onlookers said, Man, they got to be disciples. Mm. they got to be the people of God. Mm. they got to be the people of the way. Mm. They're little Jesus. That's what, that's what Onlooker said, and, and, and this is an answer to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, that prayer for unity. Father, I pray that they may, they may be one, so that the world may know that you sent me. A world that is living in darkness, a world that hates God, confesses, wow, that's really God. And here's what God wants to do in Memphis. God wants to take people who hate him, people who can't stand him, people who reject him and go, wow, look at Jesus. That's what he did at Antioch, and that's what he wants to do here. They were Christians to the honor and glory of God. Now as I tie up this sermon, here, here's the beauty of this, this story. And, it, and it's in the passage that I didn't read in verse 27 through 30. The same invisible hand of God that allowed the persecution, eventually allowed a famine to take place in Jerusalem. So the hoi polloi, hoity-toity, well-highly educated Christians of Jerusalem were starving to death. And the only people who could help them were these, those people in Antioch. What you going to do when people who offend you, cause you grief, People who rattle your cage, who make life difficult for you. What are you going to do when God gives you the upper hand? Are you going to seek vengeance? Are you going to say, man, you remember when you did that? Or are you going to say, hey, I'm a Christian first. So the folk who were being offended, the folk who were treated like dirt, the folk who were dissed, were given an opportunity to show love. To the dissers. And boy, when you mess with someone's money, when you see Christians are willing to give their money into something, Jesus says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is also. Amen? And so these Christian folk, evidence of the work of Almighty God in their lives, they collected money. (laughs) And they sent it to Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas. They said, I I forgive them. I ain't no more Gentile. I'm, I'm a Christian. And you're a Christian. Huh? Paul said, so in Christ Jesus there's no more Jew nor Gentile there's no more male nor female there's no more slave nor free there's no more black, there's no more white <laughs> you're right, you're from the islands you know what you're talking about man this is Memphis that's what the Holy Spirit's doing Holy Spirit's doing a work so much so that those people eventually become people who contribute mightily To the work of Almighty God. See, I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from a place where 300 years ago, a French slave living on the island of, of Hispaniola listened to Europeans and learned and fought against the Europeans. And he decided to use their gifts to better his people. And they were amazed by it. I'm from a world that says, you tell me it's impossible and I'll show you it could be done. I'm from a world that says if you give anybody the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even the thug on the street, I'm from a world that says if you go behind prison bars and preach the gospel in such a way that if ex-convicts were to believe the gospel, that if ex-rapists were to believe the gospel, that if drug addicts were to believe the gospel, that, that folks who hate folk were to believe the gospel, it would transform their lives. And you believe it too. That's why you're here. And Barnabas believed it, and he was a bridge person. And so they generously reached out to these people, and they were called Christians. What a true glimpse of the true church. A collection of one group of dissimilar people. A church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and energized to take the reconciling gospel to all people everywhere. All of this despite the sinfulness and the, the narrow-mindedness and the selfishness of the people of God. I'm not naive. I told you earlier, friction in the church, we know but friction. I'm not naive. I know you got ways and I have ways and we have proclivities. But the Holy Spirit is bigger than that. And the church is not being called forth to philosophize about a future world. See, y'all not here to, be, to, to talk about what life could look like. A hundred years from now, mm -mm, the Lord has brought you together and the Lord has brought every church together to demonstrate that he is working his kingdom in the midst of this present evil age. And so my question to you that I asked you early on in the very beginning, and I ask it again, how will the people of God, enabled by the spirit of God, handle the friction that could easily divide, distort, and destroy the witness of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we don't look the best practices in the, in the book of Acts. No, they didn't get it right. They, they, they messed up big time. But we, we need to look to the lives of men like Barnabas. I call them passionaries. Passionate missionaries or bridge people. Not only is he a great role model for the character that is recommended for cross-cultural leadership, his influence at the church in Antioch also serves as a goal for Christians in a very crucial way my friends Jesus is the only builder of his church and he is building his church right in the middle of downtown Memphis right in the middle of a world that is alienated from God and alienated from each other and you know how he's doing it he's taking regular people like you and me and blessing it and converting us Transforming us into extraordinary people, bridge people. May you bow to the work of the Lord in your life. May you surrender to His powerful work. May the Lord enable you to forget the past and look to the cross. And may His Holy Spirit do such a mighty work at the downtown church that everyone in Memphis and everyone in Tennessee, in the Mid-South and all over this nation would say, you want to see Jesus? Go to Memphis. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and I thank you. I praise and I thank you for the leadership and the membership of this church. I thank you for the great work you've begun many years ago, long before any one of us were here. May you continuously, by the power of your Holy Spirit, shape men and women to be used of you to bridge relationships that may seem to be irreconcilable, that may seem to be impossible. And may you, by the power of the gospel, remind us of the greatest division that ever occurred in history, and that is the division between a holy God and a sinful human being. And in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off, have been brought near. May you bring together people who have no reason to be together other than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.